0: I'll just start with this man, like you're back in Delaware after, after you know, an amazing summer in Hawaii, mm-hmm. you know, you got to spend a little extra time, have, have you adjusted back from non island living yet? Or? Yeah,
1: it's it, yeah, it's actually back uh, right after Hawaii, Houston happened, so I've been traveling this entire one, one, one and a half months, no work in the lab, it feels a little <laughs> odd to not be doing experiments and all and get back and you face you, those chemicals you do for cleaning and all and then you forget what step <laughs> yeah. comes here and all. Yeah, so I've been out of my, out of the lab for like good uh, two two and a half months because I've been working on my qualifiers. So I finished my PhD qualifiers, and then uh, PBSE Hawaii happened, and then was the Clean Tech final competition. I'll talk about that in uh, later side, but then I was in Houston, so I've been traveling, and finally get, feels good to get back to lab and you know start yeah. working.
0: Yeah, that's how you know you're a true PhD student yeah. when you're missing your chemical beakers and equipment and stuff yeah, like, like that.
1: Who took this gun? No <laughs> one asked me.
0: <laughs> yeah, why Why did I sign up for this? Yeah. yeah, okay, cool, man. And the World Cup is over now. So the World Cup's extra over. Extra yeah,
1: I'm waiting until three more weeks before the English Premier League kicks English picks. Premier
0: League, EPL,
1: man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. i no, yeah. actually headed for U.N.Tels uh, versus Real Madrid, which is happening in D.C., so you have this international yeah. friendly... Oh, no, I would say... The International Cup is the tournament, but then you have this club friendlies, uh, Mm -hmm. and most of the big clubs are actually visiting preseason, yeah, yeah, most of the big clubs are in the U.S. right now. So I'm going to go for one of the games.
0: Yeah. My dad's a a massive Chelsea Blues fan, and so he loved it when Drogba moved over here to Arizona, actually. Yeah, I think Drogba is supposed to play his last game in like October or something like
1: that. Oh. So he's trying to get some tickets and
0: that would yeah, be oh, he's the yeah,
1: legend, so. the Drog man. Yeah. yeah, oh he's great. Yeah, I mean I, I'm I'm a yeah. I'm a rival to Chelsea, but then a few players Lampard, Drogba, Peter Czech, who's currently at Arsenal. I'm an yeah. Arsenal supporter. Yeah, but yeah, okay, you cannot. You yeah, I guess I would say legends. So yeah, irrespective who <laughs> where they belong, you still have to respect them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm not. I'm definitely not a Chelsea's fan, and I think that's just like out of rebellion against my because dad. dad. <laughs> like just growing up, listening to all the chants all the time. I'm like, no, this is yeah. my, uh, this is my rebellious phase.
1: Like
0: <laughs> I didn't. I didn't rebel in academics. I didn't like steal a car. And, like, this is my way to do it. Whatever. This is my way. I won't support Chelsea Blues. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yep. yeah. So hey, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, this is PodQuest, the podcast for the Quest Solar Energy Engineering Research Center. Um, back after our WCPEC uh, conference in Hawaii. And I'm here with Mr. Abhishek Ayer, recent uh, PhD candidate at University of Delaware. Congratulations on making it through those uh qualifying yep. exams, man. So yeah, yeah, they're that's, terrible. <laughs> uh, yeah I'm sure that's uh, that's stress off the off yeah. the shoulders. But then on to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. so um Actually, if you could give us a little bit of your background. Um, how did you end up coming to Delaware? Sure. Uh, where did you do your bachelor's degree at? That mm-hmm. sort of thing.
1: Yeah, so uh, I got my undergrad in India. Um, I'm from this university called uh, SRM University, which is in Chennai, which is the southern part of India. Um, and I got my bachelor's in electrical and electronics engineering. Uh, and right after I got my uh, you know, bachelor's, I, I actually wanted to get a master's. Uh, So I came to UD um, for my master's in electrical engineering. Uh, ASU was my dream school. Uh, (laughs) I got rejected by ASU. So there were two schools on my uh, list of, I guess, I think I applied to five universities, six universities. Uh, And ASU was number one, and then followed by UD, and then I think I had Georgia Tech or something um, Mm -hmm. on the list. Uh, And that was largely when I was shortlisting schools. I actually wanted schools which had uh, a lot more focus, a lot more curriculum and research on solar, um, because, like, well, towards the end of my undergrad, I was I started working in the field of solar, and India as such has a big potential for solar. So um, I've always wanted to, you know, give back to the society more in the form of solar. So I kind of knew from day one that I wanted to do something. I wanted to pursue you in solar. So I applied to schools which had, uh, you know, uh, strength in solar. Uh, ASU did not happen. Um, and I guess the next choice was... Delaware, and Delaware boasts of the oldest solar research lab in the entire world, so the Institute of Energy Conversion here uh, is the oldest, it came before the Department of Energies, or NREL as well, uh, focused on solar research. (coughs) And there was was, uh, equally good uh, coursework, because at that time there was not the image of PhD, it was still, you know, (coughs) get a master's. uh, but then, uh, so yeah, because when you just start thinking more in terms of curriculum coursework, I chose on UD, definitely a lot of professors here working in the field of solar. So uh, it all started with uh, joining as a non-thesis um, uh, master's student in the electrical engineering department, uh, but I always had uh, I always had interest in working in labs. So the first one semester, I used to work uh, under Dr. Opula uh, and Nicole Kotulak. Uh, she was the former student at UD under Dr. Opula and also Uh, She was from Quest as well. I think she spent maybe a semester or two in uh, ASU as well through Quest. Uh, So she was graduating and uh, there was definitely a requirement for an electrical engineer in the group and Dr. Opila was in search for someone. So I started off working in Dr. Opila's lab, uh, just kind of, you know, free labor, you know, Um, got started there and I was really interested in the work they do and, you know, slowly worked up the path uh, and I shifted from a non-thesis to a thesis track and now currently I'm on a PhD track. So I've been working with Dr. Opila on uh, low temperature solar cells uh, since about three years. It's been three years since I've been working on this project. Uh, I got a master's. So I have a master's in electrical engineering from UD and I uh, wanted to, you know, uh, explore further or at least finish the work that I started uh, more on the entrepreneurship and also on the Uh, research side and I'm currently pursuing my Ph.D. in electrical engineering.
0: Okay, very cool. So you mentioned uh, your work is in low temperature solar cells. Right. Uh, Can you define that for us? What do you mean they operate in low temperature? Sure,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, So so, uh, a typical or a conventional solar cell, if you say, let's assume the ALBSF, like the traditional technology, the conventional technology that you have to make a solar cell. as so a manu- the al-
0: aluminum back surface Aluminum back
1: surface field, correct. Uh, so uh, like you know, talking about the manufacturing technologies, that's the most dominant technology. Now it's being shadowed by the uh, PERC cell technology, PERC, passivated emitter rear contact, and you have different other technologies. But then the most dominant definitely is the aluminum back surface field one. Uh, so let's talk about that process if you take in the entire process line uh, you have several steps in the entire processing line that depend a lot on high temperature so the diffusion step itself to start with is usually at say 1000 degrees or 1200 degrees celsius and then you have firing processes after the metal contacts and all so that's how uh, so i guess the idea is a traditional solar cell is usually manufactured or fabricated at temperatures which is you know few thousands so like say at least 1000 1020 degrees celsius our idea is and, and these high temperature are often associated with high capital expenditure or operational costs because often these equipments suck in a lot of electricity as well. It's actually funny if you look at the places where solar manufacturing plants are situated around the world, they are places where the cost of where the source of electricity is actually cheap. So in the US if you look at solar world, it's completely hydro, uh, in Port, so Solar World is in Portland, and it's basically fueled by hydroelectric plants. So that's the conventional, you know, so you actually have to pay less for this uh, source of electricity because as the manufacturing line, you're consuming a lot of electricity. So the I guess the point being, there's a lot of costs attached with the capital expenditure and the operational costs attached with uh, conventional solar manufacturing line. And since day one, the our focus has actually been focusing on low temperature deposition. And when I say low temperature, um, it's not like room temperature the maximum temperature we go let's say let's say we can fabricate solar cells under 150 degrees or one about 200 degrees Celsius uh, so that's been the idea so it's not anything new we already have the amorphous silicon hit cells which basically you know do it under 200 degrees Celsius uh, the the idea is it's a hit cell uh, which is a heterojunction solar cell uh, and instead of having an amorphous silicon uh, we basically have our own candidate to do the same purpose of what an amorphous silicon does in a traditional hit cell, and we can still manufacture this cell under 200 degrees Celsius. Uh, And the way how we do it is we, instead of depending on, say, plasma or, you know, vacuum deposition techniques or tools that you do for a conventional solar cell, we depend more on solution processed, uh, you know, techniques. So you're talking more in terms of, say, screen printing, spin coating, dip coating, doctor blading, uh, you, have, uh, you have a few more techniques like those. Uh, spray right, so coating. All wet chemical it's processes. Exactly. Yeah. So it's all, it's all wet chemical processes. So uh, since day one, the focus has always been on two ends. One has been on the passivation end, uh, which is also, you know, uh, conventional, as say, al 3 or silicon nitride, which requires a PE, CVD, and also it's at certain degree of temperature, which is, you know, higher than 200 degrees Celsius for sure. Uh, and the other end has been on, you know, creating the PN junction for a typical solar cell. Uh, so on the passivation end, there's uh, more of the work that Macy Chen in our group, she worked on uh, where we actually, you know, discovered uh, solution processed passivation for solar cells. And on the device end, we've kind of, you know, when it comes to creating the solar cell, the device cell, uh, instead of having a diffused junction for a solar cell, we have an induced junction. Uh, solar cell so we induce band bending in our solar cells in our you know silicon as a substrate and we create band bending and we consider that as a mechanism for a solar cell to function.
0: So yeah just for those of us that don't have that technical oh, yeah. background so with the uh with the p-n junction we don't have to go into band yeah. bending <laughs> and everything <laughs> Yeah, that might be a bit much but yeah with, yeah. The, uh, with the p-n junction basically you're putting in uh, dissimilar material or another material that has a different number of electrons right so and then you create, um, I guess, uh, an electric field um, within the material such that the electrons will move to one side side. and you can collect that current. So rather than diffusing in these other dopant materials for Mm -hmm. the electric field, you're putting something on the surface or something? Yeah, yeah, let's call it a surface
1: treatment. Yeah, it's more like a surface treatment, and that is inducing. In other words, it's kind of indirectly giving you selectivity for electrons on one side and holes to go on the other end.
0: Okay, all right. So uh, yeah, okay, that's really interesting. So uh, you'd have to do two steps then, one for the front surface, one for the back surface, or is this kind of a one-step process?
1: Uh, So typically what we've been doing till date has been uh, one side. So you start off with uh, N-type wafer. So say it's uh, negatively charged N-type wafer, and we induce band bending through this organic polymer that we use called P.PSS. Uh, so P dot PSS, it's an organic polymer widely used in the organic solar cell and LED and a bunch of other applications. Uh, and that essentially behaves as the P-type for these solar cells. So we have, we start off with the N-type substrate and we induce band bending and create a P-type. And that essentially is our junction. So okay. a lot of times, you know, I, it's like we, all, we often term these cells as hybrid silicon solar cells because you're basically blending in the maturity of silicon and the flexibility of organics and you're basically building a hybrid silicon solar cell and a lot of times the question that gets asked is because it's already enough research done on the field of organic solar cells and stuff like that and uh, they have problems with degradation, you know, uh, reliability and all that. In our case, it's slightly different because still the absorber is silicon. The P.PSS, the organic polymer that we have, just let's it's basically a transparent, uh, you know, conductive polymer in our case. Uh, so, it's not the organic that is doing most of the light trapping and all. It's basically still silicon that's absorbing the bulk of the light that actually goes in. Okay,
0: very cool. Yeah. So how does this compare? I guess the next question that comes up when you start talking about organics is uh, how, do you, how does the efficiencies compare?
1: Yeah, great question. Uh, so till now, uh, the maximum efficiency that we've actually gotten on, say, the, uh, the, the device architecture that I've mentioned, we've reached 13% efficiencies on uh, four centimeter by four centimeter sized wafers. Uh, we've reached 15% efficiencies, but that has been on a slightly different device architecture uh, where we actually still relied on amorphous silicon and all. Uh, but uh, there are studies that have demonstrated 20.4% p- and twen- like in that range of efficiencies with P.PSS or with this idea of you know band bending. Um, and uh, that's what actually we are currently working on in order to improve. You have, you have certain limitations with the choice of materials that you have and we need to, you know, tweak in the device architecture, the way how you build the solar cell in order to, you know, take the next big leap towards efficiency and that's primarily my PhD work and that's kind of the you know, kind of the soul to the entire startup work as well that we're doing. Okay,
0: yeah. cool. And then I guess uh, the whole motivation for it is this cost savings aspect. Absolutely. So how does that, how does that compare then to the typical manufacturing
1: costs yeah yeah so uh so if you basically fabricate the solar cells by the way how we do it in our lab you are uh, talking about a manufacturing line that does not require a pecvd tool you do not require a diffusion chamber as well now if you look at uh, you know like a pecvd roughly costs about three million a diffusion line costs about three million right you know so when I used to do my pitches, I used to really focus on these numbers because that is what actually gets enough traction, uh, you know. Uh, so I, I, I cannot say how much my cell costs because I haven't really implemented that in an existing manufacturing line. But then think about a manufacturing line that does not require a PE CVD or a diffusion chamber, and you basically right. put in like any solution processed equipments that we actually do on a large scale, like say screen printing and all that stuff. Uh, you are definitely looking at a thirty to forty percent reduction in manufacturing a solar cell so at a cell level you're looking at that as your uh, reduction in price
0: right so that's yeah that's a huge draw because a lot of um, research that's usually done on new types of absorber materials for um, solar cells that mm-hmm. is competing with the silicon technology it's yeah. that capital equipment upfront cost right. is right. really can be a limiting factor so that's cool. yeah you're eliminating it plus taking advantage of the silicon technology that's already
1: out there, so leveraging that technology. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I guess one other thing that also I would like to add in when when we're talking about the cost aspects. uh, Also, low temperature or like the processing that we have actually enables thinner silicon as well. Uh, So if you look at a cell manufacturing line, uh, the biggest cost factor that comes in is the silicon wafer in itself. Uh, like if you, you know, build if you break the costs of each of the processes, the raw material that you start off itself is, uh, you know, kind of the biggest contributing factor to manufacturing cost. And there's always been a lot of, you know, debate on going thinner silicon and all that. A lot of companies have actually tried that. I know there are at least a couple of startups that actually did that. One's bankrupt now. The other one, I think the one in, forget forgot the name. The one who do epi-silicon, you know the group in Boston? Uh yeah, uh, the I curplus, don't the yeah. solar guys, like whoever mm-hmm. does the power solar, but they've been actually successful right. in doing that. But you right. know, uh, uh, what a is lot that of 1366? 1366, there yeah, you go. 1366, yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was before them, there was the other group that used to do something similar on epi silicon and all, but yeah, I guess the idea back, like say 10 years back, when the cost of silicon was you know, like say 500 to 800 dollars per kg, when silicon yeah. was really. Uh, you know the biggest con- uh, cost factor. Things have changed now because there's been demand and all. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know there's been a motivation to go thinner silicon because then you're basically reducing the substrate or you know the raw material usage as well. So wha- right. if if there's a trend, if, if assume we go back to that you know phase where we still want to go thinner silicon, say do it on like say 50 micron or say thinner, you make it. I guess there's an advantage of making flexible and all that. So. Our processing also enables thinner you know, silicon so you can start looking at potential cost savings at the wafer level as well if there's okay. a requirement in the industry to do that.
0: Yeah, Cool. Well it looks like uh, one of the next steps you're taking is to create this manufacturing process and you've spun out a, a startup or you're starting right. to mm-hmm. um, so I recently heard that uh, you won a competition from Rutgers the Launch R right. uh, program so congrats, yeah, yeah, that's awesome.
1: Thanks, thanks, yeah. yeah.
0: Cool. Um, yeah. Could you explain? I guess uh, what what is the company that you're yeah. doing, and
1: what's the basic idea? Mm-hmm. So, so we've been start. We started, uh, you know, working on the entrepreneurial side of this. Uh, it's been, I think, over two years. Um, yeah, close to two years actually. Um, uh, initially, it all started uh, off as us pitching in Delaware's, uh You know, pitching competition. Uh, you know, we just thought it's a great, great idea and stuff like that. And you know, just went in, you pitched this idea in front of this entrepreneurs and investors. And basically, I just sounded like, you know, a scientist who's, you know, publishing his results and, you know, talking about his stuff that he does on a daily basis. Uh, so, you know, like there was never that business mind in me. There was never a kind of a business background in our group either. We were all just, you know, scientists, you know, trying to, you know, build cool stuff. But we didn't really understand how to make money out of your technology, out of your idea. So you know the presentation went on and i guess definitely we didn't make it to the finals uh, but there was this there were two guys who actually walked out of the room and they said you know what like you guys are working on a really great idea and if you have some form of guidance if someone actually mentors you guys can actually make it big solar is growing like crazy in the us and you know stuff like that so they saw a lot of potential in our idea and the work that we were doing um, and it started off us participating in the nsf i code that april was talking about so We were like possibly the first ones in the entire quest to go through the NSF I-Core. So we did a local program, we did a national program. And I think by 2017, we had spoken to about 150, 175 people uh, or say potential customers associated with the entire solar manufacturing ecosystem. So uh, the I-Core is uh, basically a, a six week long, seven week long program. Uh, where you get to chance to speak to your potential customers so in those t- seven weeks uh, myself uh, jimmy and i we we're both part of the same team so jimmy hack is my uh uh lab partner partner in crime uh, and we've kind of worked everything together on this project so he's equally you know part of sh- uh, our startup so the two of us we traveled to over eight states you know six weeks time speaking to you know potential customers but i think the bigger idea was trying to understand what is the problem in today's solar manufacturing industry so we we visited uh, at that time there were just two solar manufacturing plants in the us Seneva and solar world we got a chance to visit them but also got a chance to get a complete tour of their entire manufacturing facility they don't really do it for outsiders so the fact that we were doing through nsf i think kind of you know gave some you know weight on what we were doing and they thought this is like a good project and they are really Uh, you know, investing in the future and stuff like that. So they gave us a chance to do that. We got a chance to speak to the CTOs. Uh, We got spent about like half an hour talking to CTO of Solar World and also got a chance to speak to Sineva. So I think overall that was kind of like probably the best uh, journey till date um, during my grad school because for students like us who actually work endlessly in the lab, uh, to see that your technology or the work that you do is, I, I guess someone outside your lab actually cares for the work that you do and is actually interested in learning more about the work that you do is possibly, in my opinion, the most rewarding thing for a PhD <laughs> candidate. Uh, it's like, oh, wow, this is so cool. Tell me more about it, you know. So I think that that that's particular of that six weeks or seven weeks that we spent through could kind of missed miss it a lot. And I would actually be willing to do it again if I'm given that <laughs> opportunity. Because I really just, I just love that entire process. So, uh, you know, during this entire course, I guess the idea was we kind of get really good reception from everyone in the industry on the work that we are doing. Uh, and there was there was definitely a lot of work to be done on the science part, you know, to, you know, boost up the efficiency, show reliability, stuff like that. But then the fact that the industry actually thinks about these things, uh, they actually have the high efficiency, low cost as a metric for going into the future was something that we felt was kind of, I wouldn't say a loophole, but it was something that, uh, we feel was a requirement, uh, especially right. you're talking about you know the current market scenario where say the cells like say IBC cells by SunPower or uh, the hit cells by Panasonic, right? They are say like you have like the highest efficiencies like 25.6, 26% um, on silicon has actually been on these these two technologies, um, like you know, uh, but then still if you look at the market share for these high efficiency solar cells, they have less than five percent today. So we kind of try to understand what actually has been the limiting factor, what is the big concern. And we have a a bunch of reasons, um, you know, but then at at the base level, you need to understand that the processing is slightly more complex than the existing processing. So say SunPower does more like, say, they used to do photolith back for their all-back contact cells. Now I think they're moving to laser patterning and all. So that kind of takes up most of the cost part for... Uh, you know, say the hit cells or say even the IBC cells. So we did see like a got good potential in high efficiency solar cells, provided the cost of manufacturing actually go down, and we found a fit in that particular, uh, you know, space. So like every like every industry, the solar industry also has a technology roadmap, right? So today the dominant technology is ALBSF or PERC cell, but then say five years from now, you will start seeing a shift towards higher efficiency, provided they get cheaper. And, they usually get cheaper with more traction in the market and all that. Yeah. But that's that's something that we are working on. So, you know, we started uh, like after the good reception that we had through the NSF, I-Core, uh, and uh, we spoke to a bunch of people from the solar, this thing. So we decided we should actually, you know, spin off. Uh, because even at that stage, we didn't really know that we are going forward or not. Uh, and you know, like the way how NSF actually does this is in the final presentation that you do after you're done with 100 interviews, they say are you a go or a no go, <laughs> you know, and that kind right. of shapes your path forward. Um, and we we decided, you know, we should actually go ahead with this idea, uh, you know, get more grants and all that. So we decided we would, uh, you know, find, get us we do do a spinoff, and uh, that's how Shio, uh, uh, we we came up with name Shio because it actually it's funny uh, so it just don't, doesn't really have any meaning but then it's the first letter of our of the founders and co-founders last names so S comes from Sridharan H comes from Jimmy Hack I comes from Abhishek Iyer and Robert Opula O comes from Opula so you know <laughs> didn't really you know, think about anything back then um, and you know just like you know like we just went I formed an L- LLC because that was easiest to so we formed that and I guess since then, since 2017, uh, we've been working more on the end of establishing a proof of concept. So we were at the stage where we actually understood what the industry requires. We kind of knew what it required for us as a startup to disrupt the existing manufacturing industry. Yep, go ahead. Yeah,
0: and so what, I guess uh, going back to that, what was your aha moment? Uh, was it during the i program when you were talking to like a specific company where you're like, oh, this is the problem we need to tackle?
1: Yeah, so uh, I guess a couple of aha moments. The first one I would say, uh, when you talk about solar manufacturing industry, it's very conservative when it comes to approaching new technologies. So you cannot come up with a high efficiency solar cell or a low cost solar cell and say that, you know, buy our technology or anything. It's often, most cases, a combination of both high cost and, uh, sorry, low cost and high, perform- um, high efficiency. So in general, high performance. And they actually you know even if you have really good technology even if you're solving the problem you need to start demonstrate that in terms of not just performance but also in terms of reliability and right. in in my opinion licensing is a good forward is a good method to go forward but then there's always a trick I guess licensing is always tricky um, especially my professor having worked with Bell Labs and having you know like a really sound experience uh, in the semiconductor industry never was a big fan of licensing because you know you can really reverse engineer it and you know work the way around it so what we thought if licensing is not your path forward the other way to go around it is basically build a small manufacturing plant demonstrate that you can actually you know show high efficiencies you can show this reliability and then think of someone acquiring you or not so I was really I guess the ideas were always invited but then unless you show them like real good proof unless you give back them with really good data they don't really they won't be really interested in talking to you the other aha moment was, uh, I was at this Green Tech Media's uh, really big, uh, it was a conference which was happening in San Diego, uh, mm-hmm. where a lot of people from the industry, uh, so not just solar manufacturers, but then everyone in the entire solar ecosystem, like the tool manufacturers, you had solar residential installers and stuff like that. And we got a chance to speak to a lot of people there, uh, because we finished about 20, 25 interviews in just that one location at one given time. So... What we actually, when, when I actually realized, when I actually learned about those numbers for these solar cells, uh, you know, so at, at, if you look at, so this is 2016, you look at module costs for, say, different technologies. And I, I mean, I don't know, if I'm, I think I can talk about it. Yeah, so the <laughs> ALBSF, you know, back then two years was about, say, range of 36 cents to about, say, 40 cents per watt. Uh, that was the module cost. The perk cell was, you know, a couple of, slen- uh, say, two to five cents higher. But then when you come to high-efficiency solar cells, this is numbers. Th- these are numbers that we got from talking to people. We learned that the hit cells cost at least 60 to 80 cents per watt. And the idc are like the costliest ones which can go as high as a dollar per watt. And I, we just felt like this is where we should actually focus on. Because high-efficiency solar cells, now like you actually have a really good reason why these cells don't really have a bigger market share. Because if the cost of making the solar cell itself is higher, then you don't really... I mean, if you want a good margin, then you actually have to sell it at a higher price as well. So that was, uh, you know, I guess that was kind of compelling enough for us to actually, you know, like when when you do this I-code, they tell you who's your potential customer, what's your customer segment like, and we kind of knew that this is where we should actually belong to because... uh, we haven't demonstrated high efficiencies but then we actually know with the technology that we have you can we have like simulation studies and all that that have shown that you can actually achieve higher efficiency so that that actually was kind of like a determining thing from there and like from that point that was I think when I would say more like we were we were done with 60% of the interviews but then the rest 40% was completely focused on understanding how high efficiency solar cells are manufactured in today's uh, you know in today's manufacturing uh Scenario. So we started focusing more on just high efficiency because we knew that's going to be the segment to actually focus on. So I was at that it was at that particular, I think that particular conference that basically, you know, made us more focused on whom we should be talking to because you can talk to a bunch of like few thousands in the field of solar, right, in different segments, but then you need to talk to your specific, your direct customer. So that's when we started, you know, taking a shift from the way, w- w- the way how we were doing it before and, you know, having it more focused.
0: Yeah. So you went from talking to customers, to finding out about market discovery, what yeah. are the uh, problems you're trying to solve for them. And now in the startup phase, you're shifting towards, uh, we need funding. Yeah. <laughs> to actually do absolutely. So how did you go from that mindset of, I'm asking questions to find out the problems, to now you're sort of shaping a narrative that you can pitch to people.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. To
0: get them believing in your solution.
1: Yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, I guess, we were, we were fortunate enough to have Quest funding all this, you know, uh, but then we kind of realized that once the startup work actually kicks in, you'll have a lot more work, and we definitely required funding there to actually, you know, uh, you know, fund not just the research, but then also like how NSF terms it at customer discovery, so you basically travel, and to I guess we made it a point that we should be updated with what's happening around the world, so we wanted to attend to conferences, so I got a chance to visit EU pv Second Amsterdam last year and all that, so it kind of helps to keep yourself abreast of what's actually happening around the world in the field of solar. So, we wanted the customer discovery to be happening, irrespective yeah. you of- can't where just,
0: uh, yeah, You, you can just listen to yeah. some podcast or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. There's ne- I guess I always like this, and there's never a full stop to customer discovery, you know. like Whenever I yeah. put out these pitches and I put this, you know, plans for the next five years from now, I'll have customer discovery all throughout the five-year plan, because it's a never-ending process. Uh, so, you know, we realized that. And also, I guess, even with respect to research, it's going to be like you'll be doing double the work that, that you used to be doing because your targets are more uh, difficult and you need to be working more time in lab. And also, uh, we there was definitely a requirement for more funding. Uh, easiest way to go around it is to seek federal funding, which comes in the form of SPIRs or STTRs. When, when I say easy, it's like, you know, it's like a straightforward application. You just fill it, but then it's also really competitive especially if you go to say NSF SPIRs or STTRs you have like 12% is the success rate um, and there are like thousands who are actually apply into this so um, you know it's 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 basically easy in the sense that it's non-dilutive funding so it's good for you you kind of keep it everything and it's also given in two phases you establish a proof of concept and then you take it out to the marketplace so I think I liked that model so we've definitely started looking into SPIRs we did apply for the NSF SPIR phase one got rejected um, uh, the first time we applied we're gonna, you know, work on the application and, you know, look for other, um, like six DOE, NASA, a bunch of other SPIs that actually provide this. But then, like talking about it, if you think your idea is really good, if you think you've discovered who's your potential customer, and if you know your business model, then the way to seek funding is pitching competitions. So uh, we applied. Uh, we we didn't really apply to any and every pitching competition. Uh, we were really. You know, picky on the ones that focus more on clean tech and all. uh, Because in that case, a lot of times, what I've often faced when I was pitching in the very beginning, I used to uh, pitch to an audience which was really looking for something that you can have it in the next year. Right? You know, looking at a product that's like, or maybe like, you know, something like an app, stuff like that, you know. Uh, So I've been pitching in those competitions. I just felt that it was possibly the wrong audience because they're looking for something within one year or two year frame. That's that's what goes in their mind, in an investor mind. Um, and so we started looking at more something which is more, uh, you know, like more science-based, when I say more like work coming out from research and taking into the marketplace, you know, stuff like that. So that's when we came across um, the Department of Energy's uh, clean clean tech uh, thing. So uh, we applied for that. Uh, we got shortlisted as one of the seven finalists for uh, the mid Atlantic region, which was hosted by Rutgers. So that was launch R. Uh, We went there, pitched there. We had teams from Princeton, Columbia, and there were a few teams, I think two or three teams that were already making some form of money, so they were well ahead of most of us, uh, you know, when it comes to seeking investor funding and all that. But I think the good thing about these pitching competitions is they really look on the idea, the problem that you're trying to solve, and how strong is your team? right um, And I think these are the three I think the foremost metrics that they really you know uh, really look into when you actually pitch in this big competitions, especially more in the form of federal funding and all that. So we pitched there uh, and I think I've worked a lot. I think the reason why we are here today is largely because of the entrepreneurship Center at the University of Delaware so it's the Horn program in entrepreneurship uh, There have been like really great people who've actually you know showed us c- they've constantly you know, given us attention and helped us you know in the entire phase of you know moving out from lab to the real market space on how you should pitch and i think the first thing i always say when it comes to pitching is always know your audience right you know you before the competition starts get to know who your audience is because i'm i'm kind of the person who would actually change my pitch in the last moment if i know that there's someone in the crowd who actually has no idea in anything in clean tech so i'll have to you know tune in my Pitch in a way that I focus more on the problem and then tell them more on the solution on what we've actually proposed, where we are with the funding and what's our plan going into the future. If my my audience is someone who actually has a sound idea of, say, working in a solar space or, say, wind or anything in renewables, then I focus less on the problem. I focus more on my solution because that's what they would be interested in looking forward to because they kind of understand the problem already. So, kind of those few tips I always, you know, uh, follow when I go for pitching competitions. Uh, so, I kind of, you know, had the same kind of, like, I do have, like, a pitch deck. I, like, it's not very similar to what you actually have for an investor pitch deck. It's kind of different. I kind of, you know, shape it in a way how I can actually present a story uh, to everybody else who's in the room because you have 10 minutes to pitch an idea. It's never enough. So, to ten in 10 minutes, you're supposed to tell a story and you're supposed to convince them that give us the $50,000. So it's, it's, def- it's definitely a difficult task. So I kind of, you know, uh, always redesign my slides so that it kind of tells a story out to the judges and also the audience. Uh, so uh, I think it was the idea and the uh, problem that we were trying to solve. And so we, we stood first in the mid-Atlantic region and we got awarded $50,000, uh, which was largely to work on proof of concept or anything that you're working with these things. And uh, we also won the best... Uh, also won the best award for the Department of Defense so the Department of Energy and Department of Defense were holding this thing together uh, and uh, we got invited for the national finals for Depan- for Department of Energy and also the Department of Defense so we pitched twice when we were in Houston uh, and yeah we didn't, we didn't win anything but I think uh, I think it was I, I also go to the pitching competitions just to see what everybody else does how they pitch what's their slide deck look like how do they make their slides do they make it in ppt do they make it using some other software or anything so i kind of even have that interest so i often randomly also go sit in most of the local pitches that happen in delaware they're um, on campus just to see you know what actually doesn't judge really like i've seen most cases the team that you want to win actually doesn't win and the team that actually had the least chances of winning according to you ends up winning the competition so you know i kind of always try to read into the mind of the judges trying to see what actually you know runs in their mind when they try to judge any competition and all that um, so, yeah, we did that, and I think uh, Houston was a really great experience. Uh, where we are today, uh, I think the pitching thing is definitely happening. We're looking for more funds to come in, uh, but we st- we actually started focusing more on the SPIRs and SDTRs uh, because that basically gives us a good chunk of money to really establish a proof of concept. So, like, you know, in the solar thing, we kind of know the metrics. So, we have, I think at this stage, we want to establish Uh, that the technology actually works not just on, you know, lap size wafers, which are, like, say, 4-centimeter or 4-centimeter, also work on, like, 4-inch or a 5-inch wafer, stuff like that, Uh, you know, start demonstrating more on reliability side because that's the first question that actually comes up, organics on silicon, you know, how long do these cells last and all. So uh, kind of started working um, just doing primary, uh, you know, uh, results on the reliability side of it. But, yeah, it's it's, it's a work in progress. Uh, I think what I'm really excited about is that we kind of have a plan in mind. Uh, and I think under Dr. Opila's leadership and the lab mates that I have to work with, it just makes the work really easier because you have like there's really great minds to work with and discuss with. And I think there's a good community uh, in Delaware as well at UD when it comes to the entrepreneurship side. So if there's anything on the business end that I do, I'm not really aware of, there's something I need we really need to work on, all I need to send out an email, and next morning I have a meeting with this guy who actually you know he's an expert at that particular thing. So. Yeah, i think it's the it's i guess everyone's it's been like more of a collective teamwork that actually has given us uh like the successes and all that in the past
0: yeah so focusing in on on making those pitches uh for a moment Mm -hmm. um, you're given only a certain amount of time and you have to convey all this different information in a very convincing manner how do you uh, have you found so i guess you you said um knowing your audience is the first step right Knowing how to approach, do I emphasize problem or solution? Right. Have you found that focusing on numbers um, or comparisons is more yeah. effective? Or, or what, what's like the most effective strategy to... Yeah, so you know what?
1: I think, I think yeah, you, you actually have the perfect answer to your question. Um, it's the numbers. Uh, so when I say, I guess, you know, when we started off this entire process, I, my tagline used to be uh, novel, low cost, high efficiency solar cell. You know, that's how we started off it. Uh, Now, that's not going to really tell a story because your first slide should be descriptive enough to tell a story on what is going to be your next slide or your next following slides. So when you say a high efficiency, give them a quantification of how much higher than the current efficiency. If you're saying low cost, how much lower than your existing uh, cells or something like that. So I think numbers, definitely it's a numbers game Uh, uh, and talking along the same, uh, like you said, you know. Quantification is a good way of you know putting out the word. The second one I think I've always followed is to have least number of sentences or you know text on your slides. Uh, have it more descriptive. No, sorry, more uh, you know. Try to I mean like, more, try to convey the message more in throm- more in the form of images or pictures or graphs or something like that. Uh, the max I think there's this really 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 great talk by this guy called Guy Kawasaki uh, who used to be formerly with Apple. Uh, is this like if you go on a, like his, his 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 slide deck for any investor pitching? Like he says, the maximum font you should have on your thing is, I guess, just maybe a line or two lines or something. But then the ma- font size should be forty-two or something. Like it's it's a, it's a really good. Uh, I would like highly recommend for anyone in the in the startup world to actually give a look at that video. I should actually know this, but I do not really click <laughs> what he said. Uh, but I'm a big fan. Of, but then he basically says, you know, like uh, a lot of times you would see the investors are the ones who are actually slightly experienced guys. You might also see people who are like, you know, aged 60 or 70. If you have 18 or 20 size text aerial font on your slides, then they're not going to really bother to even have a look at it. So, you know, always have bigger fonts. Uh, have your, uh, you know, like picture in the way that you're actually telling a story. You're conveying, not just, you know, talk, boasting about your product, but then tell them, you know, build it like a story. Um, always... The first three minutes of your presentation is gonna shape up the next seven minutes or ten minutes, however long your presentation is. So the first three minutes ensure that you have your audiences ears and eyes onto your slides. So always I kind of always start off with, you know, start off with those big numbers and you know like how the solar market is booming, the number of people working in the US, and then I say, but then the problem in today's market is that blah blah blah. So the first three slides always shape up your entire presentation and always believe in that particular thing. So keep up your first few slides to be the most or like the ones that you have to really focus on. Uh, the other thing I think a lot of, I mean, I don't know if it's a, it's a thing for everyone, but I feel that uh, your voice modulation when you present uh, is really important. Uh, I think that's, I guess it's not a big tip, but then I kind of really focus on stuff that I think are really important. I like can really emphasize on that, you know, the way how you present. That's like the basic presentation uh, tips that you have. Uh, but I think, yeah, I guess uh, I would definitely agree on uh, numbers, uh, having projections and graphs, curves and all that. And second mm-hmm. is not to populate your slides. This is not a research presentation. So, you know, make it as simple as possible for your, not just your not just your uh, judges, but also for everyone in the room who's sitting like 20 seats in the last row or something. Make it easier for him to actually also pay attention to what you're saying. And just assume that you're... Uh, You know, often, like I was was mentioning before uh, on how you should know your audience. Uh, Often, you know, the best way to go around it is if you don't get a chance to meet your audience, assume that these are 10-year kids who are sitting in front of you. So you basically go from the very basics, give them a really good understanding of what's the problem, what's the marketplace you're dealing with, what is your background and stuff like that, and then, you know, race to the next level. So always build up to the final slide, but that's the way of how you... I guess the key is to tell a story and tell a story in a way that everyone has his attention for the entire length of 10 minutes.
0: Right. Yeah, uh, my professor, Dr. Bertoni, loves to say during a presentation uh, at the very beginning, tell them what you're about to tell them, tell them, and then at the end, tell them what you told them. What you told them. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Actually you, sure I, I the mean, the I've, always, I've always been a big fan of your presentations as well. I think you also are a really good presenter, especially with the <laughs> the NSF thing that you did or what was that 2 years back or something the award I mean, that uh, you won. Oh yeah, the perfect pitch. Perfect yeah. pitch, yeah. yeah. I think that was yeah, that was a really good one actually. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah, I yeah. got a chance to see you present and it was wonderful. I think, yeah, so I would... Yes, yes,
0: praise me on my own podcast. I love it, I love it. <laughs> Perfect, we'll have you on the show again sometime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just so you can say this again, yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, we've all sat through um, those presentations during, uh, you know, high school or undergrad yeah. where somebody puts up a slide and it's just like five, six lines ah. or sentences and they yeah. just read every word that's there and I'm like, I, I can read... Faster than you are. Really yeah, doing. I
1: mean, yeah. So what's the purpose yeah. of you presenting, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Those are those are, I think, everyone has universally felt that felt that pain. If oh ever, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So those are those basic presentation and,
1: tips. Yeah, I would give. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Great. So what's the um, next milestone? milestone for you guys. Uh, I guess you have mentioned the reliability testing and yeah. sort of those scientific um, milestones, mm-hmm. but uh, I guess in terms of the company, um, yeah. you have this fifty thousand dollars of funding. What is that kind of? Yeah.
1: So. 50,000 for now and we are also currently under uh, Blue Hands Proof of Concept Fund that gives us an additional $35,000 so we have close to 100,000 and we've completely you know we're completely focusing it on say 80% of it actually goes for R&D so it's more on the proof of concept uh, thing so all those reliability studies and we're also looking at a um, couple of other device architectures when it comes to the low-process solar cell and all that. That's something which is more realistic. And when I say realistic, in line with the existing manufacturing lines. Um, so we're kind of you know, developing like if our process was implemented in an existing solar manufacturing line, how would that look like? And you know, steer us in that direction. So that's something. And we still have the customer discovery on. So Jimmy uh, is traveling to Belgium. Uh, I think uh, for EU PVSEC, which is in September. So he's going to be doing customer discovery and also has a paper presentation and all that. So that's kind of an on, um, ongoing work with customer discovery. Macy, uh, she graduated recently, but then she decided that she really wants to put more work on the company side. So she's rejoining as a postdoc. Um, she's going to be spending one more year here um, and she's basically affiliated with the entrepreneurship department. Uh, so she's going to be, you know, really. Uh, working more now on the uh, business side of it, so we have one more person to actually, you know, shoulder some more responsibility and you know keep us working. And she's working on a uh, on a different cell architecture as well for higher efficiencies. So yeah, we I think we uh, we have yeah I think we have the three of us and we also have a new student now in uh, in our group uh, David. Uh, he's also part of the quest now. So yeah, we have a good team now. Um, it's just more. I think the next one year uh, I would say is more focused on. Getting improved results, uh, you know, kind of meeting those metrics that the industry really looks forward to, and uh, keep on pitching and keep on applying for government federal grants. Um, so we, yeah. we are okay. we are writing one more uh, NSF uh, SBIR and also looking at DOE, NASA, and all that.
0: Yeah. So you you mentioned earlier put a number on things, quantify it. What's a number that you would get really excited about to uh, to see? Like what what's a metric that uh, you would like to see? Uh,
1: as of now, I think, so <laughs> we've actually, uh, we, all, we kind of have a technical, uh, you know, roadmap as well. Uh, by end of this year, uh, we are looking at 19 to 20% efficiency on 4 centimeter sized substrates. Uh, so we are currently at 13, 14% uh, range. Uh, so it's going to be a big, uh, That's a big, big step. Yeah, yeah it's going to be a big step. So we're still working on, you know, different architecture, testing a bunch of um, few passivation techniques and stuff like that uh, to really take us to the next big leap. But I think okay. I think if you get to that particular range of efficiencies, when you hit those 20s, when I say 20s, it's kind of good enough to actually start working more on the business side, like looking for investor funding and all that, because now you're looking at a... So, I mean, it's difficult for the cells with this current architecture to hit 25% or 26% efficiency. Um, but then even if I hit a decent 21 22%, I'm having a potential cost savings more in terms of making the solar cell. So even if I'm not really high efficiency, but I'm still low cost, so it kind of balances out... Uh, So I guess if we hit the 20% milestone, I think is when we start really, you know, thinking about having more people on the business end and, you know, start seeking investor funding, angel angel investors and all that stuff. But uh, I think we've put a limit on Jan 1st, I would say. Jan 1st is the limit to work on uh, the science and the research side. And also it's kind of in line with my PhD work as well. So I need to graduate soon as well. But then I'm trying to prolong this because I'm really liking the entire process of the startup and all that. Um, and that's what actually brought me from master's to a PhD program. I think it was more on the startup side that was the bigger motivation factor than, I guess I said all research, but then I think to grow this startup and, you know, not stop there just as a research project or just a project that we did was kind of something that I always wanted to, you know, uh, that I had, I had on my uh, heart deep inside. So I really wanted to, you know, keep this thing going, just, you know. I guess I'm not really worried about the future. What happens is, happens, but then I just want to give enough, uh, you know, work. I need to just work hard on this. And if we fail, I think we have a good lesson to tell everybody else. If we succeed, then, yeah yeah it works out absolutely (laughs) yeah absolutely
0: yeah just trying to make what impact we can on the world man absolutely yeah yeah that's great well a lot of exciting work coming up for you uh i'm excited to see where where shio goes and uh yeah that's awesome man. hopefully you still have some time to catch some uh english premier league (laughs) 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 yeah yeah
1: i i have my priorities listed so yeah (laughs) weekends are just for football (laughs) There you go.
0: Yeah. There you go. That's, That's great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to talk to us today. And, Absolutely. And, uh, My pleasure. sharing how Shio got started and what you guys have been through. So, yeah.
1: Yep. Thanks a lot for this opportunity. And, yeah, keep up the good work. And I'm looking forward to hear more questers share their stories. <laughs> Absolutely. And I hope this yeah. is helpful for anybody else who's thinking of going in the entrepreneurship path.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone, especially for sticking it out as I'm trying these slightly longer form interviews. Apparently, us PhD students are able to talk for a while about our work, so hopefully, we're keeping it interesting for you. Feel free to reach out to me at podquest at gmail.com. That's P O D Q E S S T at gmail.com with any questions, suggestions, even critiques are welcome. Well, depending on the critique. Check out the research work that Quest does by visiting quest.org. And again, thank you to Quest, the National Science Foundation, and the Department of Energy for enabling this podcast, as well as the research work done by the student researchers of Quest. I've been your host, Sebastian Hussein, recording at Arizona State University. Hope you can join next time.